Welcome to the Film Look Podcast, where we break down films and learn from the pros and try to become better filmmakers along the way. I'm Robert Carr. I'm also joined by Richard Scott and also Christian K-Dog Foreman. How you doing? Hello. You know that we normally like use the film as like a pun for our names? Well, for this one, I just couldn't think of anything. It'll be uh, Ravenous Robert. It'll be cra- Cravenous K-Dog. Yeah. Oh, Christy Gunn. Girl. Christy Gone Girl, yeah. <laughs> a play, like a play on the whole Amazing Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just I just couldn't think of one. I was just like, it was going to be Robert Gone Girl, Car, Richard. <laughs> gone Boy. Girl, girl, girl Band, Scott, and Christian. Um, I don't know. <laughs> where's just he gone? Chris, where's <laughs> he gone, Foreman? Yeah. Which, which happened in our Robert, last podcast. He's gone. Car. <laughs> Christian, where's he gone, Foreman? And Richard, he's gone, yam. <laughs> See, that would have actually probably worked, so maybe we, uh, I should do this again, but uh, I'll not. Um, so we are going to watch and talk about Gone Girl uh, in a little bit, but before that, we're going to do some facts. So this week it's uh, K-Dog versus um, Rich in the fact off, and I'm going to let K-Dog go first. Nice. So mine's a Lord of the Rings fact. Uh, we always. Oh, he's already won. He's won. <laughs> so Sean Might as well Bean. Win. If Who's I in? if I can guess this fact before he finishes the sentence, do I win? Y- yep. All right. Go on then, well, I'll give you. It's about Sean Bean and the Fellowship I'll of the Ring. I'll buzz. I'll buzz in when I know the answer. Okay. okay. So Sean Bean was scared of helicopters, right? So every day. <laughs> yeah. I know it. it. He every day used to walk up the mountain on his own in his costume, and it would take him hours, and they would all go past on the helicopter laughing at him. Yeah, know, and act- and act- the wood. He would be like. Not just climbing a mountain, he would be like, he would have the ropes and everything. He's not just walking up the mountain. He's like properly climbing the mountains. Uh, no, actually, um, when he was young, a helicopter <laughs> killed him, killed his family. <laughs> uh, He's actually dead. <laughs> Mate, that's shun that. And uh, yes, that was the fact. Do we know, well, do so, we know why he's scared of, is he just scared of flying in general? Or? Like I say, is, is a, a helicopter killed his parents when he was little, so. No, um, they didn't. That they can't did. be true. That's not true. <laughs> Please say that's not true. So I feel bad for making fun of him. No, it's not true. Right. But I imagine, I think, so you it's know. It's not being, even a fact. Being scared of helicopters is quite a rational thing. I don't think that's unusual. Um, no, no, it's, it's like scared. It's, it's quite unnatural to, to, you know, to fly. Have you, been, have you ever been in a helicopter? Have you been in one? No, no, I went I've on, a, I went on an airplane last week, actually, last Friday, last Saturday. Oh, wow. Sorry. That's, a, that's actually quite... Uh, <laughs> no one's been on airplanes, the majority of no, the world. No, but this was, a, this, was a, this was a two-seater airplane. So oh, right. My friends this are, was an Indiana Jones airplane. Yeah, and um, my friend's a pilot. Make friends with pilot guys, because then you get to fly in this plane. And he, yep. he took me up, and um, I was nearly sick in the first 10 minutes, because there's a lot of turbulence up there, and I've never been more aware... Um, that I was like sitting the fact in, that this, you're floating. In, this, in this tin can <laughs> in the sky yeah, yeah. yeah and it was awful but after about 10 minutes I got used to it and it was fun um, so you're always fun. feeling like you're falling <laughs> yeah like turbulence on a commercial airline is pretty scary it, yeah. that's the moment that you're like oh yeah I'm in the air because <laughs> I didn't hit the ground even yeah. though I fell for a split second but in that little airplane it's all the time yeah and you know I'm a giant man and like there was not enough room really for me to sit in this seat so my knees Was there like... any was there any snakes? <laughs> no. That's a double reference to uh Riddler's Lost Ark but also snakes. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you um? Was it like like complimentary drinks on that? Did you get like food? Like yeah. How like, did they get the uh, the trolley through with it being yeah. such a small plane? Uh, no, there did was. Did he not. do with the the like flight um safety things? Did he like stand up and go out in the middle of the aisle and like show you the exit? Because this is the second time I've been up with him. The first time we went there, we got in his plane. He turned the he turned the ignition on <laughs> um, with the keys, and then the battery went dead. Like the propellers started, it was like, and then it just went and just stopped. And he was like, "Oh, the battery's dead." I'm like, "Why?" I was like, "You were just about to take me up in this plane, and the battery, <laughs> and the battery's just dying." Oh my god! Did you put your aviators on? <laughs> Did you no. have a cool leather jacket? Did he have a cool leather jacket? I I um I try to dress as coolly as possible to get <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we're living in twenty twenty here. So I had to wear this like stripy mask which kinda of ruined the effect. Um, did you have a headset on to talk to him? Yeah. With a with a little did, microphone coming out. Did, yeah. was do was he talking to like air traffic control and like were you sitting there going, Oh my god, this is so cool. <laughs> He's like chatting to them and that. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pro admiring, we admiring the whole time. <laughs> I would be. That's so cool. So uh, yeah, that, and we flew over restricted airspace. We flew over like American airspace. Were you not scared that you were going to get bombed? Well, apparently he said that it was only Monday to Friday that's restricted. On a weekend, it's fine. And I'm like, I don't think we should risk it, just in case. Where did you go? It was like in Norfolk area, like the Norfolk Broads, and like there's this right. bit up there that's um. Uh, yeah, restricted for some reason. You can see when I look down, like the targets where they would uh, fly over and like you know oh. drop bombs or whatever they do when they're practicing. Oh, right, that's funny. That's scary. That's... <laughs> also, <laughs> targets on the floor so they can <laughs> drop bombs. Yeah. They don't just drop a bomb out of a plane anymore. It's all like satellite guided and GPS and stuff. <laughs> don't just launch a big boy. <laughs> It's not just a bunch of marines at the back of a plane throwing grenades. I picture it like you know in a cartoon when they drop like a like a black kind of pointy, like a big yeah. black, yeah. yeah. And then they that's just fully. That's in my head what it, what it, what they were doing there. Well, speaking about being in the air, my uh, my fun fact is about Superman. Oh, nice. So, obviously, with the. Uh, like the Man of Steel franchise, what do they call it? The DC Expanded Universe. Um, Superman's o- often poses like Jesus in his movies. This is actually a reference to, because uh, every time you think the franchise is dead, they bring him back to life for another one. <laughs> Slight chuckle. I've got another one for you. It's <laughs> uh, all right. It's not your worst. Here's a fun fact for you. Um, the poster for Jaws is not written in Comic Sans. That's that's also true. Uh, I don't know um, what it's what it's written for. I just know it's not comic sans. Like normally, normally I would if I already know a fact, I would um, <laughs> I would give it to the other person. But Rich and Rich, you you have. I got had another some... one for you in Hitman two thousand and seven. Did you ever see that? Probably not. No, no one did. No. Uh, the final scene shows Hitman with a sniper rifle on a rooftop, and the, the moon is in the background. This reveals that it all took place on Earth. That's that's also true. I feel like I feel like this is just the equivalent of running away by just like throwing more facts at it. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, like I say, I would, I would, Rich, you've had some bad facts, and normally I would give it to you, but he did throw out the Lord of the Rings fact, which I also kind of knew. So I am, um, I'm going to give it to K Dog. 
Yes, I think that's the first time I've ever won. Yeah. Ever. Um. <laughs> oh, I got another one. Um, in the films Ratatouille and The Incredibles, Brad Bird is listed as the director for both of these films. Um, that's because he directed both of those films. That's pretty good. Um, K-Dog don't celebrate uh, too much because it still wasn't a good fact. Um, oh, it was a good fact. We just knew it. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I'm sure one of us have said that already on this podcast. So... Um, kid, I'll yeah, these, get it. these fun facts you, are running dry. Yeah, they are. Maybe, maybe we should change change the opening segment. Nah. Well, I did have another one where we're going to do like a BuzzFeed quiz and see which like superhero character one of us is. So we might do that next time. If you want to, um, if you want that, who people who listen to it, and we can we can do different ones every time. Um, email us at uh, the film look at Gmail podcast. It's seamless. This do you, do you like it? Um, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the film look. Basically, just send in like um, films that you want to see. Actually, we had an email the other day about someone suggesting a war film after we just um, listened to Fury. Uh, there's an email about that somewhere, Rich. If you want to find that. Um, and then you can find us on the film look at everything and on all social medias, YouTube channel. And we also have a Patreon as well. So if you like the podcast and you want to support us by giving us a little bit of cash, but you will get rewards in return. As the weekly um, planet say, chuck us a book. Yeah, you know, it's it's basically just to kind of, uh, just to help us keep running and doing what we do. Well, That's there's a lot of, of films that we want to do that aren't on Netflix and aren't on Amazon Prime but we can access them. But, you know, spending three quid on a film times three, that's yeah. it's more than as much as I want to spend. So all of that money would go straight to us being able to watch <laughs> pay for DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go over to uh, the Patreon, there's a few different tiers and it just, if you can, give what you can. If you can't, it's perfectly fine. These podcasts are going to be free to listen to. Um, but if you like what we do, head over to there. And we've got loads of like other content that's on there as well from our YouTube channel, which is at the Film Look. Um, it's a lot of me and Rich probably talking about random things about filmmaking. Um, I would do, well, we're going to do some like storing the cans, things that I think we might have even done one on the podcast at something, some point like that. And talk more about films and filmmaking on there. So if you want to Head over to Patreon, it's at the Film Look, along with all of our social media accounts. And if you go on there and it's not up, it's because we haven't set it up yet, because we recorded this in mid-October. But we're hoping to have got it set up by the time this gets to your ears. It, it definitely it definitely should be up. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, this week's film, which I suggested, which is Gone Girl. Gone Girl is a 2014 film which was directed by David Fincher and it is about well it's it's it um it's a difficult one this um because you try and explain it to people and I'm like this is so messed up this film that I don't know how to feel afterwards and how to tell people to watch it do you tell people to watch this film <laughs> like is it a good watch it is a good watch but it's so messed up it uh kind of freaks us out a little bit so this film is about um a guy whose wife goes missing and then he gets accused of murdering her but we kind of get two sides of the story here we, we see his side of the story and then we see her side of the story spoiler alert we will be spoiling all this she isn't dead um when she probably should be but we'll get She's into dead that. in the eyes that's for sure yeah, no definitely um 
She's got a stone cold heart, that's for yeah. sure. I mean, I don't think either characters in this film have got any redeeming qualities, but she petrifies uh, Amy, who's uh, played by. Who's played by? How'd uh, you say her name? Ro- Ro- Rosamond Pike? Ro- Rosamond. Rosamond. We'll pronounce we'll it a co- different way every time we say it. <laughs> yeah, we'll just say we'll Amy. Just call that, we'll just call that Amy. <laughs> Amy, yeah. So I'd, I think we'd all seen this film before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before mention it on the podcast, yeah. Yeah. So uh Rich what was so watching it for the first time and then watching the second time, let us know what you think about this film. Well it was it was your suggestion a few years ago about this film. And Mm -hmm. I remember watching this and having such a unique experience that I had to call you on a night and it was like eleven o'clock and you were basically my therapy for an hour (laughs) because it really messed me up. Watching it the second time, I was expecting to have a lot of fun watching this film. And I will admit, for the first 30 minutes, I absolutely hated this movie. Mm-hmm. And then, after that, I realised that the reason I hated it was because this film was so clever. Yeah. So, we'll get into the story structure in a bit, yeah. but the fact that everyone is accusing Batman of... Uh, <laughs> of killing his wife, even though nothing is pointing towards him doing it. From the from the very start, the police are accusing him. And I'm thinking, wait, he's done nothing wrong. Like, why is everyone being horrible? Um, so, K-Dog, uh, what did you think about this? Um, what did I think of it? I really like this. I, the, what I enjoyed most is uh, the themes. I really like the themes around the press and the power of the press and the influence they have over... <laughs> Rich just in, uh, deliberately typing really loud now. Go on. Yeah, um, the power of the press. And I really like Ben Affleck's performance. I think it's probably... I like how subdued it is. I think he's very well cast in this film. Um, the look and the tone. Of the, David Fincher gets toned so so well. He does it so well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the characters and the visuals. However, there are some storytelling devices that I found frustrating and cliched. And I'm going to be in- extremely nitpicky um, when we come to the story part um, and pour a lot of scorn over um, some elements of this. So look forward to that. Um, but overall, good. I like the twists and turns. I didn't know where it was going. Um, it was it was engaging. Well, I I had um, a weird like introduction to this film because it had been out for a, a little while. So this came out in two thousand fourteen. I think it was probably about two thousand sixteen. And um, I was watching a video, and someone had cut like um, about an eight minute video of the first and last images of like loads of films. So I thought oh, I'll watch it. So because sometimes the first and last image um, mean a lot in films. You know, you see where characters progress to, or they mean nothing at all. And I remember the the Gone Girl first and last image was on there. So it's of Amy, um, you know, two slightly different shots of her, um, but the same pretty much expression. And I was like, I kind of knew about Gone Girl. And I was like, isn't this film about his wife getting murdered? And I was like, eh, but the first and last image is like, you see her? So like that really intrigued us. So I actually went out and bought her on Blu-ray. and so I kind of knew the last shot in the film before I'd seen the film. But that as soon as the film started, I kind of forgot about all of that. And then a little bit later on, I'm like, yeah, but why are they still together? Because this film is so messed up, like they shouldn't be together. And 
it actually helped us with the experience of watching this film, knowing what that last shot was. Because I was like, how does this work out? This shouldn't be right. And obviously it isn't right. This shouldn't be together. But it's because it's so messed up that you are. Um, so I remember watching it that first time and um, just kind of sitting for like half an hour afterwards and going, um, what did I just watch? Why, why is this? Because with David Fincher films, and I think we've spoke about this before, is like his films are so, you know, this, they're just outside of like reality. We hope anyway with this one. Yeah, they feel like they're in their own universe, don't they? They feel like they're in a slightly dystopian, right of centre, realistic world. So you go in, like, you go in expecting real life and straight away they, they add plot elements that, say to the audience but th- by the way this isn't real life this is slightly weird yeah and by that point your suspension of disbelief is you're you're up in the air about the whole thing so they're able to like he's able to execute and commit to things that you wouldn't be able to do if it was a film that felt like it was real and all of his films have that feel to it yeah it's like it's it's also some points as well it's so difficult to forget this isn't real because it is it's so on the line of like being in its own world that you just like this is I, that's why I, I feel like his films work so well because you can especially with this one it's like this could really be happening and if this actually did happen it would just be so crazy that yeah there would be a, like loads of news stories about it and the, hopefully you would never hear the truth of what actually went on you would just she got kidnapped by um what's he called from how i met your mother isn't how i met your barney. mother isn't he? barney barney <laughs> i'm going to call him barney from now on <laughs> yeah um so it's like it's so it, it's just so messed up and i enjoyed it but I think, again, I think like what you said, I was like at the beginning, I was just like, am I actually going to be able to get into this um, for the second time and watch it just because I already know what the, the whole twist is and how it plays out. But after that 30 minutes, you just kind of like sink back into it and yeah. you're just like, this is still completely crazy and messed up, but it's it makes, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't think there's anything that's really confusing. It's just, it plays out quite well. And well, we can get on to um, the story and I think mainly the structure of this film. Um, so one of the, the main plot elements that helps this film progress is obviously the voiceover, which we hear Nick's voice at first. And I think that opening line of dialogue is, um, you know, when he says, I've always, uh, he thinks of his wife's skull. He's always wanted to smash a head in to see what's going on in there. Um, you know, people shouldn't really have those thoughts and it's just nice to, in that opening line that kind of sets the stage for the tone of the film um, with them both like lying there uh, and then it obviously cuts to a different day and we just see his like mundane life until he goes back home and uh, yeah. realises his wife's missing. I think yeah. it sets it sets the film off quite well because it that that few lines of him saying, I want to smash her face in, or whatever he says, um, you know, portrays an image of him as not a very good person. And, mm-hmm. you know, typically when we have these sort of murder films, the man kills the wife without remorse and it kind of, he's the bad guy. And so we kind of go into this the first half an hour thinking, you know, is, did this guy kill his wife? Did he not kill his wife? And I, I do like it when films kind of have that, um, did he do it? Did he not do it? And when they do it well, and I think this film really did it well because this was the second time that I watched this film and I kind of forgot if he did it or not. It was about half an hour, 45 minutes in thinking, 
did he do it? I can't remember. Like, you know, it's kind of setting them, setting this up. It's always pretty obvious when you watch films like that and, and it's supposed to be like, ooh, did he do it? Because they always play the character as a little bit more suspicious than completely innocent. Yeah. And in this film, Batman is complete, like he plays it completely innocent, obviously because he is, he didn't kill her. But, but he does stupid what, things. Yeah, it's it's strange because like the, the police are accusing him straight away, and for me, I was like annoyed at the police that they were they were like poking at him the whole time. I felt like I was the one being being persecuted throughout the throughout the movie. Then obviously, like as it reveals, he starts doing daft stuff. You know, he's he's cheating yeah. on his wife and things like that. But, it's a strange one, but like yeah, you you do question like. Who are you supposed to trust in this movie? But, at least in the first hour. The question, yeah, for the first hour, the question is: just is this guy just really awkward, or is he a sociopath? Like you just don't know who to root for. And there's there's so many twists, and you get new information as it goes along, and that kind of perception just kind of flops back and forth. Um, but which, which makes it interesting. It's a it kind of it does mm. hook you in. No, I was going to say you, you get like an unreliable narrator, which just happens in in lots of films. Um, so in, in in things like Fight Club, he's an unreliable narrator because he's, he's he's a psychopath. Obviously, uh, Amy in this, she was we're hearing a voiceover from her diary um, throughout, and it slowly builds up to like when she writes the line. I think um, my husband's going to uh, kill us, which is obviously a, a, a such a massive incriminating piece of evidence that they found a diary. And this is so we get that character of like, who do we believe? Because we're hearing this voiceover from Amy who until an hour in is dead. Um, yeah. And she has been portrayed as the protagonist throughout this film because she's the one who's succeeding. Well, she's the one that's telling the story. She's the one. She is literally yeah. the, the narrator, the storyteller. Because um, Batman is, everything bad is happening to him for the first hour of this film. And I always got the idea that we were supposed to root for Amy. Like she's, she's doing all these things and she's succeeding. As an as an audience member, we are we are the onlooker, right? We don't have all the facts. We kind of piece, piecing this together as it goes as it goes along, and you kind of feel like a bit of a detective, going, "Oh, what about you know this, the diary there?" And the, he's doing saying something else. Um, but yeah, for the first hour, it is just his word against hers, and so we're just kind of going on personalities and. It, it's been presented that Batman is the the most dodgy one because we've we've spent most time with him on screen and he's doing stupid things. So you're like, why would yeah. a why would a a guilt a, 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 an innocent person act the way he's acting? I appreciate yeah. that halfway through the film when we get the Amy's perspective that at first we we get sort of those little dream fulfillment fun acts like um she's dyeing her hair and like smoking loads of cigarettes and she's mentioning that she doesn't have to be this like. Uh, pretty cool girl anymore we get that monologue halfway through and then we start to get she she is now struggling you know she she meets these like sort of like hick people at the motel and starts losing all her money and then you're thinking all right so so we're gonna watch we're gonna watch amy who is kind of she's destroyed her husband's life now we don't know really who to root for because they're both bad guys um let's watch Let's watch her struggle. She doesn't struggle for that long. I wouldn't say they're both bad guys. One is significantly worse than the other. Yeah, but he's not—he's not a good guy, is he? Not really. Like he's not—he's not—he's not a protagonist. We're not rooting for him. He's not a good husband, but he's not a murderer, a psychopath. 
Well, yeah, obviously. I'm not saying that he's like Jesus Christ, am I? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but in the thing is with with his character in that opening line of dialogue, we 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 learn not, or the opening line of voiceover, we learn not to trust him straight away because he's talking about smashing his wife's skull in. So it's like no one, no one in this film is good um, at all. There's just a level of different levels of evil, isn't there? Well, there is. There is one good guy that I I was really rooting for, and obviously she doesn't get she doesn't get what you needed, and it's the it's the detective. Yeah, it's the so like she's the detective, and she's got a police officer with them. The police officer is really annoying the whole time because he's just like, oh, let's just get him, and she's like. No, we need to think about this. Yeah, this and towards the end of the film, when so she's so she's she's escaped. She's got this plan. She's managed to get her husband accused of murdering her. Then she loses all her money and has she has to find a way out. So she gets the ex boyfriend in on it and starts manipulating him. Then all of a sudden we get this twist that he's now manipulating her. So she has to pull out these tactics again. She yeah slits his throat, ends up at the hospital. Basically, the FBI are all like, "Oh, it's all right, man. It's all right. You're doing you're doing fine. Don't worry about it." Proper victim. Um, but the the detective, the sheriff detective person, uh, she's still wondering what the hell's going on. But unfortunately, she doesn't she doesn't get that cathartic moment. She doesn't catch. But there's no there's no cathartic moment in this film. There's no one gets the comeuppance. Like no. there's then, this woman just. Did you feel like this film was like satisfying at the end? No, or not at all. You, did you were want... you frustrated that it wasn't satisfying, or did you feel like it was it was something a bit unique that you you had sort of the pleasure of watching? No, I think when it went to credits, I was like that that was the end. Like what was what was I supposed to take away from that film? Like what was the what was the message? Just I don't know. Would would you rate this movie lower because of that? I think I think so. Yeah, I did. I wasn't keen on the ending. Well, you see, see, I was I was so hit by the ending because it was so different. And I know we've watched films um, where it doesn't have like a big ending, like like a traditional ending. Even um, what's that one from the Coen Brothers that we watched? Which um, no country for old men. Obviously, he just kind of walks off into the sunset um, and kind of gets away with things. Um, so I don't know. I, I think with this ending, it's just because he's uh, Nick is so accepting of like her coming back, and he's just like, you know what? She is the perfect woman for he, for me. She's absolute. She's a, the biggest psychopath that he's ever met. But he has to stay with her. No, he doesn't. That's why I didn't like it. Like, why does he stay with her? I just don't believe that anyone in their right mind would. Like, just run away. Like, just because they've got a kid, that's such a weak thing. That's such like a plot device that's like, oh, she's pregnant, so I have to stay with her. And like, if he was a, if he was a good person, a saint of mind, he, would, he wouldn't let her have the baby. Like, he would, he would continue trying to prove how insane she was. Well, I, I just think because she set up this entire thing, she's been so clever that she could easily set up that she would keep the baby. And I think, in my mind, he's probably thinking... So, let you know her what? keep it? She's insane. Uh, would, you, would you want her to bring up a child by herself? No, I wouldn't want to be in the house same house as her, though. Yeah, exactly. I got the impression that, she, that he was... She came back and he felt like he was a hostage. And for all the bad things that he did to his wife, obviously, before she became a murderer... I'm not saying he's a good guy, K-Dog. Uh, 
that that is his punishment for the rest of his life. That he uh, he turned her into this person, and now he's going to have to live with the consequences. So there's a few there's a, a few ways to tear the end, and there's that way. So it's like oh, it's like his his comeuppance for or his karma for being a bad husband. Like this is just his um, punishment. There's another way where it's like oh, he's staying with her because of the kid, and yeah, that's like a you have to do that because there's a kid involved. And the other way is that he actually wants to be with her like he realizes that how insane she is but he accepts her for who she is and he realizes he's just as insane as she is and they're a perfect couple yeah. and mm-hmm. not the three of all three of those are just not satisfying to me so okay. what would you change what would what was the thing that you wanted i'll probably end the film about 15 minutes before oh you see when when she like comes back and she's like covered in blood i mean that scene i remember watching that scene where um she slits Barney's throat for the first time, and I was—I just wasn't expecting it because you haven't seen, you haven't really seen her have do anything violent really at this point. Um, and it, it, I just think the whole way that scene was set up, where it was like all white bed sheets, um, and she just like slits his throat, and there was uh, the amount of blood that came out—it was, it was, it was really gruesome, and I, I was just so surprised with that. I was just like, and then her walking back. What, what I found really strange is like she goes to the hospital. They make sure she's okay. She, they give her drugs. They don't they decide don't to just her. like they don't clean her down because it's going yeah, to look she better. Shouldn't pop in the shower. Yeah, she. Uh, it's just going to look better. Her going down the hallway with like blood all over, and then obviously we get that scene where they go in the shower in their house. So she comes back to the house covered in blood, gives him a hug. She they then go to the police station. She's gets questioned for a bit. She then goes to the hospital, and then she comes home. I'm like, at no point during all of those quite you know big big scenes does she kind of wipe the blood off her shoulder. Yeah, just like like Amy, there's there's a wipe if you just want to like wipe it down a little bit. Well, she she passes out, doesn't she? Or fakes the fakes passing out on the yeah. doorstep. Yeah. So maybe he would take her straight to the the hospital or something. Yeah, it is strange that. He didn't have a wet wipe. But then when yeah. she's in the shower, the, the blood just comes off instantly as well. Like it didn't like dry as blood. On. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I just think that that scene in this film and it's it's one of my favourite scenes horribly enough. It's just because it's so dramatic. And, you know, uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character, he isn't a nice guy either. Obviously, we've been hearing stories about him and he's pretty much keeping her captive and turning her back into a woman that she clearly doesn't want to be. So she now, like you said, has to manipulate him. Um, and it's I just kind of like how that story come a, come around. You know, she's she's been holding on to this, this guy for like 20 years because she knew she was going to use him at some point. She didn't yeah. know how, she, but, you know, we had all of the players already set up. Um he um he never like locked the door or anything, did he? We never explicitly uh was shown that Barney was kidnapping her. He was uh, he was manipulative, but she could have left at any time. But she knew that she needed to plan something else. Yeah. In order in order to get out of it innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or get out of it appearing innocent. Because if she just left, then yeah, this was her plan. At B. that point, it was in the favor of Batman, wasn't it? That yeah. everyone was on his side now, so she needed to have something like real big Shakespeare esque yeah. in order to succeed. Well, and and the the reason that obviously she killed him, we we you know a lot of this film happens over the first like seven days of Amy gone. We keep getting that a uh, little credit of like um, 
uh, so many days gone, which I quite like. Um, but then once we get to later on in the film, when she, she goes to Barney's house, um, that's it's like a month later when she actually leaves. So she's had to like prepare all of this. Um, but what, what clicks her into, I'm going to return back to Batman, um, is when he does the press conference and he says everything that she wants to hear because he knows her so well. Like they both yeah. know each other so well, like the 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 the, the perfect for each other because they know themselves inside out. And he says the right words and he wears that tie and she, she comments in, on the tie. So he's like, I bought that tie. Um, and at that, that moment, she's like f- physically anyway, like completely opposite to what she was like when she was with him. Um, and it's just the, the both manipulating people, even when they're not together. And that's why I'm like, this is why they're perfect for each other. It's horrible. And it, it, it like... Yeah, it's weird though, isn't it? Because it's like, she's, she's literally a murderer. But she did do it for him. And yeah. he probably loves that. that. That she's obsessed with him. He loves it. So they are just as crazy as each other. It's very Shakespearean. It's like, I'm going to do this big act to prove that I love you. And they just had to do all of this stuff to to prove that to each other, um, and it's just like kid dog. I, I get where you're coming from. It's so difficult to accept, but it's because this world is so close to being set in hours, um, where it's just like it's so difficult to watch and to accept that these two people are together. And that comes yeah. back down to the the first and the last image. When I seen that, I was so curious of like how does this how how the structure in this. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad ending. It's a good ending. It makes you think, right? We're having all this conversation, but it, it was just a moment of, oh, you know, like I was just like a that that was it. Like I was ex- I was expecting more. I, I, I think we've more. got enough films where the ending is cathartic and the good guys win. In this film, it, it's nice that there was something a bit different about but the end. Normally, you hate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, normally I would, and somehow they've managed to make me like it. Well, you it's know what thing. it is. You know what it is. I think it's it's a, it, this is a Fincher film, so we like it because we are Fincher fans. I think everything. Maybe we've seen I from. don't want the cathartic ending because I know that he's like in his heart, he's not a good guy. Like I, the, I think they've not portrayed him as as the good guy. There is no good guy. I would have wanted the the detective. I would have wanted her her to go through with this and and succeed, but if she succeeded, then he would have also just straight up succeeded. See, I I just don't. I think you're being a bit harsh on him. He's not he's he's not a bad guy. I know I keep saying that. It's just he doesn't deserve what's happened to him. He's not a murderer. He's got more relationship problems than anything else. <laughs> yeah, but the the filmmaker doesn't doesn't portray portray him as an innocent good guy who's getting all these bad things happening. Mm-hmm. Like we understand throughout the plot of the film that he has some negative attributes. Mm-hmm. Well, what's what's interesting about him as well is like he does a lot with like the words he's speaking. So when he goes onto that TV show, he um he obviously knows exactly what she needs to hear, but he's mani- manipulating that from the screen you know his lawyer tells him to say these things and he's just like i know how to get her back even his lawyer goes let's find her so they all know she's not she's not dead so he uses his like manipulation skills which to be fair he probably learned from her um although both just as good as each other to get their own their goals but the both the both obviously she she decides um a little way into this film that she's not going to kill herself because that was her plan you know and 
it, we see like the poster notes of the dates that she set out for our plan and obviously then to kill herself. Um, she decides not to when when she's uh, with those hicks, isn't she? she? She's like, when she's in that like cabin, she takes yeah. that post, posted note off and she's like, I'm not going to kill myself now because I'm too good um, to, to kill myself. You know, I'm not going to do it because of Nick. And she gets into trouble and then she, she has to go back. But her plan was to frame him and kill herself. So she didn't want to murder anyone. She just, in the end, just bluffed it and uh, did it anyway. So, because that, that wasn't yeah. the plan. That wasn't the plan. So. And that, let's talk a little bit about that murder then. Because it, in in my eyes, obviously, she's she's portrayed as, as kind of like the good guy or at least like the interesting one in the first half of the movie because mm-hmm. she's doing all these things to Nick. Doing all these things to Batman, and I, I quite liked the fact that everything was getting messed up for him. Um, then obviously, like we we start to reveal that she is like totally sadistic. Then with the murder, in a way, it's kind of justified because yeah, he was this this Barney 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 <laughs> was manipulative the the ex boyfriend, uh, and she did have to go to some some severe things in order to to make make this plan work and i feel like maybe the murder is the cathartic moment yeah. because not so much that it's like a good guy doing things but it's a, it's a bad guy that you love to hate mm-hmm. being really crafty and getting away with it and in that way i can only appreciate the effort that she went to in order to do all this stuff like yeah. she won she was yeah. the protagonist in a, in a very very strange way. Yeah, she really was like uh, because he like you get a slimy sense of him straight away. You do that. He's he feels like he's you know he's more intelligent than everyone, and um, you know he's got this lovely big house, uh, and it's it's like it, just some of the stuff he says, which you know she shouldn't. It's just like oh, you shouldn't be eating that. You should be wearing this. Get in the gym. There's a gym. Get back to the way you you, you used to look. And it's, she, yeah. she realises in that moment, it's just like, oh man, this is worse. He's he's worse, yeah, yeah, yeah he's, exactly. He's, in a strange way, he's actually worse. Um, yeah. So so then she, she has to do what, what she does. I'm, is, I'm happy that I was manipulated by the filmmaker in this film to feel yeah. the way I did. Like, Alanis the K-Dog, I know he's not really a bad guy. In, it, when, when in terms of alignment between neutral, bad, and good, he's probably more on the good side. He never really did anything that bad. But I was manipulated by the filmmaker into believing that he was slightly bad at least, and I'm happy to just run with it. I was yeah. brainwashed in this movie. Well, that's good. And I, it was I, great. I do like films that make you question, like kind of those those grayer areas in life, right? And uh, this this film just gets so it gets so much darker as it goes along. And when it ended, it really does make you think and question like we're doing, like who was bad, who was good. And like, it made me think about the, the, the power of the press as well and how manipulative yeah. they can be. Like, mm-hmm. because everyone in that, everyone in that store was manipulated, not just, not by Batman and what's a face is, was it's by the, the, the press, like the whole country was against Nick and he didn't even do anything wrong. He just yeah. didn't smile at the right places or didn't act the way people expected him to react. Um, when a wife went missing, I think that's a good takeaway message in terms of questioning things you see uh, mm-hmm. in the media and in the, in the news and on the internet, um, and you know, probably think think twice about 
not having such a such a um a, a, a powerful or objective opinion about someone you've never met yeah because all of the facts are not presenters and i think nick has like his moment at the end when um that presenter comes to interview her him and uh him and amy and uh he's just like you says this you says i slept with my sister you said this this and this and uh she's just like icebreaker so it's just like it but with the the press as it is everyone's just manipulating everyone in this and that's such a huge that's a, such a huge um theme in modern day life now like this was made it six is, years yeah. ago and yeah. it's just got worse and worse and worse since this film like it's it is kind of not ahead of its time but it is it's still very pressing the themes um yeah. in 2020 if there's one thing I, I would have liked more of it would have been we, we we get this we get this understand this character trait that he's like a like a bit of a womanizer and like you know like all the girls fancy him and stuff like that and then we 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 understand later down the line that he was taught to smile and be courteous yeah i would have liked a little bit more of of that at the beginning of the film to mm-hmm. really set in like the whole like cheesy smile yeah uh, against her missing photo and then obviously the the selfie with the uh with the cougar Things like yeah. that, because at first, I, I, I only understood that people thought he was a womanizer. I didn't, or you know, or like a super charming sort of guy. I didn't think that until the characters the mentioned flashbacks. it. Yeah, like there's a f- couple of flashback scenes to how they met, uh, like they met at a party, and uh, you know, he goes up to to Amy and he basically says, "You're not going to home with that guy. You're not going home with that guy. You're coming home with me, essentially." So he's super confident in that way. But this is in a flashback. We don't see that in his day to day. But I suppose that helps to show that over these five years, he was a super confident guy. And then on the day that we first meet him, it's just like he's a, he's just not happy. It's like all. a shell of a shell of his former Maybe life. maybe yeah. that's why I didn't I didn't get that until it was explicitly told to me. Yeah. In the film because. We're introduced to a broken man rather than a confident man. And I would have liked just a little bit of charm because he has absolutely zero charm until yeah. there is this, um, the thing where, where they're in the hall and they're, they're doing the press conference and everyone's there to like comb through the forest and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we're, 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 we're led to believe that he's supposed to be this charming guy, but I've got no evidence of it. Yeah. So, it was only after that point that I was like, oh, okay. And then I had to go and retrospectively make it all up in my head. Yeah. So that's one little plot element that I probably would have liked to have been pushed a little I bit s- more. I suppose that's something to do with the structure of this film as well, because it's like, it's it's in linear order, but we get, we get so many flashbacks and we don't we don't get sometimes a timestamp of when those flashbacks were. So we get a lot of diary yeah. stuff. I appreciate that the diary was never was never shown up until her plan yeah. that it was a completely false diary because yeah. um, where you get the little flash where he punches her in the face, like that obviously that didn't happen because yeah. that was that, that was a, a physical uh, or an image of the fake diary entry. But when yeah. it was happening, you're like, oh, okay, now I'm going to start rooting for Amy a bit more. And then that was the halfway point into the film yeah. where we like, we jump into this like crafty, essentially like, con artist but just to just to again take you back to when you've had different opinions on films because um, <laughs> you, you would you said about me and Earl and the dying girl that the filmmaker just lied to you outright 
And this the film just did the exact same thing. It just lied to you. That just didn't happen. They just stuck a scene in that she was lying about. Yeah. And then that's later true. on they said that, yeah, that just didn't happen, mate. Sorry about that. And it, it manipulated you to feel a certain way about the character. So um how do you get out of that one? <laughs> it's a different film, isn't it? <laughs> oh no. Oh no, I've got a different opinion on a different a completely different movie. I think Well it- there's there's plenty of like did this happen shots. But in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, they very specifically told the audience, by the way, she doesn't die, rather rather than, like, hinting towards it and, like, oh, did it happen, did it not? In, like, this mystery thriller where they're trying to figure out whether she's lying or not. But in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, it's not a mystery thriller about, oh, who's who's lying and who's telling the truth. They, li- they literally just go, oh, by the way, she doesn't die, in order to make it a twist at the end that she does. And that was like, that was a shoehorned emotion for me. And uh, because of that, I didn't, I didn't go, oh, big twist. I went, oh, you just lied. You were just completely lying to us the whole time. Whereas in Gone Girl, it's like, oh, who, who, who are we rooting for? Like, who's telling the yeah. truth? It's, it's all about detectives and stuff. So in that sense, in that genre, it works. Is that got us out of it? Yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> I just feel like... Get it. <laughs> There is probably, you know, when you're writing the script, you're like, all right, we need something else to like, you know, incriminate this guy. And we just, we've run out of things that actually happened. Let's just write something that didn't happen and make people believe that. And is there not a way they could have made, you know, just showed something that actually did happen? You know what? There could have been, there could have been a few more visual, quick flashbacks to like the diary entries, the fake diary entries. So we got a few more of them because I feel like that was the only one that was like sh- actually shown on screen. Yeah. As like we are in the scene at this point. Granted, it was it was only on for a few seconds and it was like very flashy and montagey and very stylistic. Um. But yeah, it you're right. It d- it did feel like it was just part of the story. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of um, things that we hear um early in the, in those diary entries that um or we hear Nick's here. That gets paid off at the that end. Oh, true. Like, like yeah. one of them is um, the the detective comes along and says, "Oh, you took out more life insurance for Amy," and she says, "Well, yeah, he she told us to." And then later on in the film, we actually get that scene where he's playing PlayStation and he doesn't even look what he's signing. Um, yeah. So it's like we get a, we do get a lot of like setup and payoff with this. I appreciate that scene as well because she's the one who gives him the beer. So yeah. she's mani- she's turning him into a slob in order to do it. Yeah, which is another aspect of this. It's just like, how did she turn him into this slob? Because we we get that Amy, yeah, yeah, exactly. Amy, Amy does say that she, that's the type of person that she actually is. She just become Amy, amazing Amy, because that's what she thought he wanted. Um, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it well not thought he wanted, but thought he wanted that she wanted. It's like a weird weird thing. Because when when the when he goes and speaks to her ex boyfriend who was yeah. convicted of of uh, sexual assault, yeah, he mentions that uh, becoming a certain type of person became her business. So yeah, line something like that well, where she's trying to craft him into a, you know, what what do they call it? Where it's like oh a fixer upper. Yeah, fixer upper. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is because obviously her childhood was all overshadowed by this book that the parents wrote about this amazing false Amy. Yeah, yeah. So she she's trying to she's carving her way like trying to carve her way into this world of like being an individual. 
but she's always got this amazing Amy, like over, we get that amazing scene where she goes, oh, um, I didn't get a dog, but amazing Amy did. I didn't get on, I got dropped from the volleyball team, but that she, she made like, the, the got of regionals or whatever it was. Uh, the what, varsity. What, whatever regionals is. Um, um, <laughs> and and we, we get we get little little hints like that, like that childhood. It, that's, this is where it all came from. I do like, a great thing about this film is that the characters are very well developed and well-rounded and you can yeah. you can understand their motives and you can maybe not understand why she, you know, she became this, this murderer, but you know, you can understand uh, she's got very unrealistic expect- expectations of life because of this amazing Amy thing. We've met her mother. She's a bitch. We've, you know, mm-hmm. the very intense insecurities she has about herself as well. And um, yeah, they, they've kind of dropped a, enough things in there to go, all right, she's got a lot of stuff going on in her head. We understand why this character is this way. Yeah. And one of the main points that comes across is from that, they call it like a subplot character. And it's that boyfriend that Nick goes to meet in the bar and they have the conversation. Um, and the first thing he says, he says, oh, you better get a drink. So we're like, okay, we know this scene's going to be like a tough, tough listen to. Heavy. Um, yeah. And he was like, what, throughout that scene, is obviously explaining about their relationship and what went on. And then we get so, so many glimpses of that when she actually kills um, Neil Patrick Harris's character. It's, it's, you know, it's very, very similar. She's just now graduated from being, um, what he, the line he says is, um, Graduated from being a rapist yeah. and being a murderer. Well, because so. he actually goes, oh, have you seen Amy since? He goes, the, the, I hadn't until I seen her on TV with you. And then they deliver that amazing line. And that's when the scene ends. There's no more lines after that. And it's like a perfect ending to that scene. Um, there's a really cool video that scri- um, scripts from a screenplay. Yeah, did it with the triangle. And it's leave the most important line until the end. And then he says that and it's just like, yeah, she's graduated, you know, to being a murderer. And at that point, she hasn't murdered anyone apart from herself that that people think, obviously, Nick, Nick's murdered her. And then she actually goes and murders someone. So Rob's gone on mine. Rob's gone on mine She's gone well. on yours, K-Dog. Yeah. She just... We'll keep talking. He'll come back. <laughs> what happened, Rob? My um, electric went off in the house. So it's all back on now. So you, you were mentioning that um, the film, the video from Lessons from a Screenplay, where it talks about like a funnel, doesn't it? It Like a scene starts with fragmented elements and then it funnels down yeah. to one last line of dialogue, which sums up essentially what the whole action was and the whole plot point is to the, to the audience to get us to the next thing. So what was the last yeah, line so- of, of that scene between Batman and the ex-boyfriend? So when they're sitting there in the bar, um, it's uh, Nick's character says that, um, oh, have you seen Amy since? And he says, no, not until I've seen her on telly with you. Um, it looks like she's um, our Amy. She's graduated from being a, being raped to being murdered. Um, yeah. So at that point, we still don't get there. We still don't know, or Nick and this guy doesn't know that if, you know, if Nick actually had murdered her, but this other guy believes that he hadn't because of what he went through and one one of my one of my elements of that is like okay why don't you bring him him into the police he is part of the evidence why doesn't the lawyer get him involved yeah that's, and that's... and use that piece of evidence open that case of of that but what's interesting about that is like amy we, we do get a scene where the parents are there and amy actually her, their parents have always had trouble with with crazy fans so he Neely got convicted for being a crazy fan 
So it's just like he is unreliable. You know, he's been on the sex uh, sex offenders register for like seven, eight years or whatever he says, so they can't rely on him anyway. Yeah. Um, but personally, Nick can, so. Yeah, it's it's good that they, they added that into the plot point because it makes it so he can't be an asset for the for the case. Yep. But it's enough information for the audience to go, oh, that's a, that's a good line to get us to the next thing. It's like, we've raised the stakes. She's went from yeah. pretending to be raped to pretending to be murdered. Yeah. yeah, just little scenes like that. There's a lot of talking in this film. We we get a lot of information told to us, but in that scene, Nick gets told information that he doesn't know, which is which is the best way to deliver that types of stuff. So there's another um, scene that it uses as an example in in that one from Lessons of the Screenplay, doesn't it? Where it, the the police come over, the detective comes over to Nick's house, and she's she's basically saying, "Oh." She was pregnant. We found this. We found evidence, and this is all the things to say. We we got you here, Nick. And then he, mm-hmm. he basically says, "I need a lawyer." Like, yeah. I'm, I'm lawyering speaking up. until you. Yeah, and that's the end of the scene, and it's it's yeah. the perfect end of the scene. You don't need to hear or see any more of them leaving or trying to get a little bit more information about them. That's, I mean, that whole that whole scene is. I'm not speaking until you get a lawyer. It's a, it's a big full stop. Like in any converse in real life, it's just like okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a one eighty degree turn, isn't it? It's it's saying yeah. I am completely changing what I'm doing now, and the shield is up, and I'm I'm yeah. I've turned. I'm gonna go somewhere yeah. else now. Aye. Aye. We've talked about story a bit. Should we go to direction? Yeah, I was going to say about direction because David Fincher can make a detective drama, can't he? He's like, yeah, he, he, yeah. So what what we got? What has David Fincher done? Obviously, like Fight Club's probably his most Zodiac as well. Very similar story. Um, he he did um uh that Netflix show um about all of the murders. Mindhunter. 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 Really produced that, that didn't he? Did he direct like the first yeah. episode yeah. or something? Yeah. S seven. They all have like I mean even the Social Network has there's there's a court case in it so there's uh there's like evidence. He loves he loves a he loves a, a detective dramery dark thriller, doesn't it does. he? <laughs> yeah, and um we'll get on to cinematography in the bit in a bit, but they all look the same. He's definitely got his like colour palette down to like this. Yeah, he loves a warm a light, green, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, a warm but then all of the whites are like greeny, like bluey, like horribleness. Yeah, they're all like, like duck egg and colours. Like, we've got a we've got duck egg duck egg white. <laughs> And and a warm light, yeah, yeah. It's just that's that's his tone, and it's just like, yeah, we're we're doing a a procedural. I mean, this is this has got lots of elements in of like being a detective. It's just the detective doesn't do all of that. Nick does a lot, and I think one of the key aspects of his, you know, when she does the treasure hunt, I think that works so well into this film and weaves in and out. Um, and we can we can get like this evidence and this information across it in a fun way. Instead of oh the police just finding all of like the stuff that he uh, uh that he bought and the punch and Judy and things like that it's just like it's done in a creative way you know we do this treasure hunt every year for our anniversary um so I, I like that about us. Uh, he also did the girl with the dragon tattoo as well, which that's, is another. That's a very similar tone, isn't it? I often get those yeah. two films mixed up. Uh, it's very similar protagonist, isn't it? If I remember correctly, D- Daniel Craig kind of plays a very similar vibe to Ben Affleck. Um, yeah, but I haven't seen that. You in could years. put all of his films like in the same universe, couldn't you? Like they they could all be happening at the same time. Yeah, 
Definitely. Has has he ever done anything which is like normal? Well, the curious case of Benjamin Button is probably a little bit more uh, not so Fincher-esque. I didn't even realise he directed that In film. The Social Network as well. No, The Social Network is mega <laughs> Fincher. Like the fact that he's the like the only person on earth who could make that film interesting. Unless it was like totally over the top Tarantino esque, but then at that point, like Mark Zuckerberg would have like shot up Justin Timberlake, and everything would have went mad, and then it would have went back. Yeah, yeah. He's the only person that could like really make that interesting. You've got to stick it in a Fincher universe for an audience to uh, really pay attention to court cases I mean, and I'm- depositions and what is essentially boring law crap. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like House of Cards is like all of this. Uh, it's and it's so sinister as well. Like this yeah. House of Cards, like uh, could fit into this universe. Like it's the same universe as Gone Girl, you know. So it's really cool. Yeah. Well, but before we skip the like music and stuff, I just thought uh, David Fincher is is one of those directors that can create an amalgamation of everything together in a unique way. To, to serve the audience something that they haven't really been served before. So uh, the, the type of music that he uses and things like the locations. In a way, Gone Girl feels a little bit like, um, with, with the house being like this utopian atomic family, like massive American, like perfect thing. And then you've got like the, the rich daughter and yet everything goes wrong. In a way, it's kind of like, this strange, like, Stepford Wives alien uh, vibe to it, which yeah. I don't think anyone else can really pull off, in that way, at least. Um, and he really pulls it all together. Like, there's nothing which is particularly missing from these from these these films. They sit in a certain place that he he can bring his, like, unique vision to. Like I think, I think one place that these films sit in is um, there's just loads of shots of like the city and buildings, and then like people walking across the streets. You know the opening montage of this. It's like the the shots are quite short, but he loves a good like. I'm going to show you loads of shots of just yeah. like the city uh, like and landscape. Sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with this one, like the transition, the really really short. Like the not in House of Cards, like that is the longest opening and intro to any show. Um, but with this one, we we get the same vibe, but it's just very very quick. Um, so he loves that. He does in terms of the cinematography. Yeah, which that's what surprised me about uh, the Social Network is that we had this like like two minute credit sequence where he's like running along, and like whenever we pick that up on like someone's short or something. We always call it a gripe and a negative thing. Yeah, it's just strange that like this this essential world class director has done something. Whereas like in Gone Girl, he's he's, I feel like he's done the right thing. We've got like these quick cuts of of these yeah. like back alleys and stuff, and he's he's showing like this is kind of the vibe without the characters. Now we'll throw the characters in. It's good, like isn't he? <laughs> he's already like yeah. So cinematography then what what. What you got on that? Um, we've talked a lot about it there. I, I, all I've got for cinematography is like the colour palette and things like that. I know you said it's very warm lighting, but it's very cool colours, if that makes sense. Like it feels like 
they've got like a filter over the lens. It's very like gray or blue kind of. Oh, Rob. <laughs> um, yeah, very gray kind of blue. Do you know the thing that the Matrix does to make everything feel green? This feels like he's done a very similar thing to make everything feel a bit darker or cooler than it is. Um, Maybe that's a way to, to use a warm light is to make everything else so cold that a warm light is, is the one little difference yeah. in there. Uh, so basically, here, dog are you saying that this film is in the Matrix? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. No way. But it's the blue Matrix. <laughs> yeah, which would... Yeah, it's just like updated version. Like this one's the the Matrix is a uh, Nvidia GeForce GTX yeah, they, 380, and then and this, this one is, is this is an Intel. Their their, Insta- yeah. their Instagram filters had an update. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I think I think within cinematography, it's the art direction as well. It's like the art direction in this isn't really super complicated. Like everyone seems to have a nice house. Um, you know, oh, it's, it's middle class America. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then we get uh, Barney's character who has this like mansion, but like he's obviously this is his second house. He's clearly well off. And Amy, you know, you would think the type of person she is, she would thrive with you know someone who has all of this stuff and money. But that's not what she's after. Like you know, we see that he's got it all and more than that, what they've got. Because we hear a lot about, you know, they're broke and they don't have any money and obviously they're in all this debt. Um, so we, we we do get a little bit of that as well. But I think just the art direction helps in the sense that it is just set in this world. It's not it's not futuristic. It's not old. It's just now. And this could yeah. be happening right now. And like you say, with it, with it, like he's got this, like, this mansion, but it still has like a Fincher feel to it. So obviously like, you can say mansion, but you can dress a mansion in a million different ways. So, like, yeah. it's not like it's the mansion from American Pie Two, yeah. like at, at the lake. It's like I need to watch that over in, in the woods, things like that. So, yeah, yeah the the production design, especially for this, like, it, it's not in your face, but I'm I'm sure if if the if we we got to see an alternative reality where we had a different production designer, then the film would feel quite a bit different, at least in mm. terms of the cinematography to to assist the production design. Yeah, I think I think with all of Finch's films as well, the, the, they're not too over the top um, in terms of when they're set in like a world like this. Like this looks like Facebook. It does. Um, yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, because the plot lines and the characters and everything is weird enough, like alien enough that uh-huh. the this, this setting can be just about right for yeah. us to, to ponder whether this is... A believable, realistic universe, or it's a crazy, over-the-top, satirical universe. Yeah, which he does really well. Special slash visual effects? Yeah. So, if there's one person who... Right, okay. Let's preface this. Everyone talks about, oh, why does CGI look so bad? You should be using practical effects. Bloody, 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 blah. If there's one person who completely inerts that argument, it's David Fincher. Almost every single shot in this film has masses of visual effects and you don't notice a single thing. So yeah. like all of the interior stuff in the in the their house together, it's all of the windows are on green screen. The, oh, really? the, the exterior doesn't exist. Right? Wow. So the shot of when Amy is leaving her parents' place in New York, he put extra leaves on the trees. He extended huh. the set. You know the yeah. bit where 
um, she when Amy turns up to like a motel and we see like um, like a, a um a boat like a river boat behind it. The river boat didn't exist. Neither did half of the street. Like there is so much VFX in this movie, and it's done completely flawlessly. That honestly, like you wouldn't be able to. I mean, suppose if you had way more money, you could do it. But David Fincher knows that. Well, with some really, like, essentially simple VFX done very well, um, shot with a director of photography and a visual effects supervisor that know what they're doing, he can pull things off that are completely flawless. And he seems to do that in all of his films. Well, with things with with those examples that you gave there is uh, they're not the forefront of the shot, are they? They're kind of in the background. You can probably get away with yeah. more because no one's no one's looking at the leaves. Unless you told me those leaves aren't real, I'm not going to look at the leaves. I'm going to look at the characters. Yeah. Well, that's 95% of visual effects in movies these days, other than obviously mm. like a big Marvel movie or something. But yeah, people mm. only seem to criticise like bad visual effects, but of, of course you're going to criticise bad visual but effects. The, th- the thing is like a film like this wouldn't get nominated for best visual effects like in the Academy Awards, but really it probably should because it's like, it's so seamless and he, every single film he does is so seamless. And I think it probably actually saves him a little bit of money in terms of doing it on these sets. I know visual effects costs obviously money to do, but being on location can actually cost a lot more. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing with the house as well, you know, okay, let's, let's green screen it so we can have the perfect lighting. We don't need a rig up outside because it's green screen and I can shoot more because David Finch is notorious for shooting more and more. And apparently with this film, he shot 500 hours of footage, which is um, a hell of a lot of footage. And they say that was shot over a hundred days and that's just over five hours a day he shot, which the maths on the maths on that. So he was rolling for the majority of the day. Yeah, and he likes to do lots and lots of takes. So having sets like this allows him to do this because there's no yeah. time pressure. You don't have to be out of a location or you're building it or whatever. We'll put the visual effects on the shots that need visual effects because visual effects only needs to be on like the shots that we see, you know? Yeah. All yeah. the other takes, they don't have any on. So he's just, I think he's got his like filmmaking workflow down to like an absolute minimum. Like he knows. Everyone who works with him probably loves it, apart from the long hours of shooting multiple, multiple takes. So yeah, like that—that's his—that that's his like annoyance as a filmmaker, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. we we talk about like you know like Nolan's known for having huge, crazy practical sets. Tarantino's known for just having an absolute shed load of blood and loves to use the N word. And then Fincher is like he's gonna trickily put some visual effects in there and we're going to do a hundred takes. <laughs> but the thing is that the hundred takes, it's not that he's looking for like flawless, you know, like say like we would do a take and it would be um, a dialogue between two characters and it's going to last for two minutes. He doesn't use, he's not waiting for that hundredth take because they, they, they did it perfectly in that hundredth take together. He's literally like, he wants as much coverage as he can in different ways because he, he also split screens, um, uh, two shots. So imagine you've got two yeah. people at a table together and we see both of them. He'll use take 18 for the first 20 seconds from one character and he'll use take 76 for the reaction of the other one. So mm-hmm. he proper splices the crap out of performances. And it's really like he loves puzzle piecing everything together 
And I imagine in the editing room, that's where it really comes together. And the actors must just be given loads of different, different things. And he's like, right, let's chuck it together. I think there's definitely, um, obviously there's a couple of filmmakers that I would love to like, just see their entire process. And David Finch is definitely one of them. Um, just because of all of those different elements, it'd be good to see like how he approaches each one. And to yeah. be on a David Fincher set is obviously very different to being on like a Christopher Nolan or a, a Tarantino set. Um, I think um, like Fincher is very a technical director. Uh, there's a story of um, Ben Affleck, and he wanted to uh, he want he had a bet with the crew with the camera crew. Uh, so Ben Affleck uh, changed one of the settings on the camera. And David Fincher apparently is very specific in what he likes. And he says, I bet you he doesn't notice. And Fincher did notice this one tiny little setting. I don't know what it was, but he walked up to Fincher, looked at the screen and went, something's not right here. And Ben Affleck lost the bet. So he's, you know, Fincher's a very technical director in terms of the technology that he uses. But then he also gets amazing performances out as well. So, yeah, yeah. it's being able to harness both of those things, isn't it? That make films come, like really shine on screen it's like you know exactly what you want you've got the technology uh you know the limitations of it and you know how you can push it and then by the end of it you're there and you're just like well i've sorted all that crap out now I, now i can do performance yeah because like if, if you're a filmmaker and you don't know at least a little bit about the technical side then are you directing a film or you're just directing performance because like yeah the performance well, of like the camera is 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 part of the performance of the scene. It's not just the performance of the actors. We all know that's important. You, you, obviously, if you don't know some of the technical side, you don't know what's possible as well. Like exactly, you could, yeah, 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 exactly. You don't know the tools that you've got on hand, and you don't know how to harness them and 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 where you can push them and where you should probably leave it. I, I suppose that's just a whole thing about communication between, um, you know, the director, the cinematographer and everyone else. Um, you know, you find that ground where you both know, you know, just as much as yeah. each other. you got to speak the language at least a little bit. Yeah. So VFX, yeah. can he go uh, editing? Can he good? What he's got on that? That's a long film, isn't it? What's the runtime? Like two and a half hours, two hours, 15, something like that? Yeah. 220, yeah. 220. Um, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I was never bored during the film. I just do. I do think it could have been probably closer to two hours. Um, and the last ten minutes, I think, let, let it down for me. Uh, yeah. But so, what do you mean the last ten minutes? Where would you have liked it to stop? Where did we get up to, and then where were you like, oh, I want to press the stop? Do you not here? think that it, it, there was a point where she came back where I thought the film was wrapping up? It felt like it had a wrap up feel to it, a yeah. wrap up vibe. And then it was like there's there was 20 still, minutes of that. There's still like, yeah, it felt like it was wrapping up for about 20, 25 minutes. And I just feel like they could have maybe condensed all of that. Uh, I don't know how, but that's just, that's, that's as an audience member, that's how I was feeling. Yeah, because we get like, uh, she she comes back, we go to the hospital, um, and then we see an interview with the police, they, they go home, and then there's a couple of like, is it a month afterwards? Yeah. And they do another interview and things like that. So, But I suppose we have to let the dust settle, uh, because, you know, you, you, you could end this just as she comes back and it's, he's she's in his arms covered in blood. Um. I mean, I love the line when when she, when she turns up in, into the house, um, and she, he just whispers in her ear, and it's just it's it's just 
it's just a good moment, but we do get another... It is about 20 minutes. It is of, like, this film actually wrapping up. The whole film is building towards Amy coming back, right? How many times did they say it? We need to find Amy. Where's Amy? Is she going to come back? And so I guess as an audience member, it felt, it felt like when, when, that, when that happened after two hours, that would be the climax and end to the film. But there was a bit... There was another, there was another section of the film to go. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't mentally prepared for that. Yeah, there was a, there was quite a long a long bit. Is it like when you were watching the final Lord of the Rings movie in the cinema and you really needed a win, <laughs> and uh, they they were at Mount Doom and then the eagles came and then they succeeded, and there's another half hour where Frodo's going back and like now they've got kids and now he's talking to these people yeah. and, and it's like and now they're at the pub and everything's back yeah. to normal and you think oh everything's back to normal. Oh no! But now we're gonna go see the elves. We're gonna go see yeah. these off, and and now oh no no now we're back with uh, Aragorn and that, and you know you bow to no one. And it's like my God, Peter Jackson, I need a wee. <laughs> I'm only <laughs> when it come out two thousand three. I'm only eleven. Me bladder's not that big. I need to go. But my God, hurry up! It's like they curl it in a song, you know, and it's like crescendoing to this big moment, and you kind of get that final release when it comes, and then they just decide to do another key change or whatever. I'm like, oh no, I thought that was it. I thought that the climax was the thing that you've been building towards. Yeah, it's like that that Layla song, like the second half of that Layla song, is just absolute utter crap. Like the the first half of that is really good, and then the second half of Layla just keeps on going. And it's like, why? What? It's nothing's changing. It just keeps on going. Like, what is wrong? And like, the first half of the song's so good, and yet it's just like, oh, how weird, man. Or kind of like, um, Mr. Blue Sky. I like Mr. Although Blue I don't Sky, yeah. particularly like the. Uh, I don't hate the ending of that, but it, like, it completely changes to like a different song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh, what's this? Why does it keep going on? But I suppose with that, it then changes back to the original song again. And it's like, oh, now it all makes sense. <laughs> But then it would be, now we're going to go change again. <laughs> Key change. <laughs> I think with this, it's just, for me, the, those last 20 minutes are so uncomfortable because I'm just like, why are they still together? Are they going to stay together? Yep, they're staying together. And it's just like, I can't, I, those 20 minutes alone are just so difficult to watch. Maybe the ending feels like it's really lengthy because it, it feels like it's setting up for like another hour of like how is he going to get out of yeah. uh, out of um you know being kid trapped with her like oh it's like now we've got another hour of like him trying to escape crazy mm-hmm. amy but yeah. then that doesn't happen so we, we don't get the cathartic moment at the end and yet we're led to believe that we're in the first act of like another film again yeah, because we're, we're, we're just told to accept what's going on at that point and i think we get a cool uh, few little moments of like where um, you know it, it, we we see them all sitting around the table in the airport, you know, and uh, they all know that she's made this up. I can. I think that's it. No, when saying that, the the story that they've been telling ends when she comes back. That's the end of the story. So the last twenty mm-hmm. minutes is setting up another story. Essentially, it could be the sequel of like him staying together for the sake of this kid, despite all these issues, and and it's like, oh, you're telling us a. And now a completely different story, and our minds just can't can't shift that quickly. Do you reckon it needed to end in the shower then, where she says, yeah, "Probably could have." We're going to do this, that, and that, and he goes, "Fine," because it's quite an o- it's, okay. It's quite an abrupt ending anyway, right? They cut to black, and you're like, "Oh, what the hell happened there?" They could have just cut to black in the shower, and it would have been the same sort of reaction, I think. 
Yeah. So get it down to 210 rather than 220. Yeah. Shave a couple of bits off here and there. Well, it is quite a slow burner, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of like immersion in just feeling what's going on. You know, we get these seemingly weird, pointless shots of like Batman standing out on his drive next to his wheelie bins, things like that. But we're sort of, we're getting the vibe of this strange universe as the music is really slow and weird coming in. And it's like, you really, you need to spend some time the first 20 minutes of the film essentially seating the audience into a, an expectation of like, by the way, like this isn't your this is this isn't your granddad's movie. Uh-huh. Like this is gonna be weird, and um, we're not even into it yet. Yeah, what did you um? What did you think about the soundtrack? Because I was I was listening to it throughout, and it's very David Fincher esque. It's like a lot of his stuff is is very similar. The way I describe it, very ambient, very atmospheric, ambient, not, eerie. Not a lot of melody, just very kind of noise. It's just noises. Um, There's no that, real um, motif to this, is there? Yeah. It's very like experimental. Just kind of ambient music that builds tension, like tension. Is, is this another Trent Reznor No, soundtrack? I don't think it is. No. But yeah, a lot of his stuff has like, um, it, it is all very similar. And it obviously, yeah, it I is. think it all Trent fits Reznor. the tone. Oh yeah, it is. So um, same guys who did uh, pretty much every film he's done. Yeah, so, social network and things. Um, you know, it's it all has the same the same feel to it. And it definitely works with this. It's just there's not really any memorable tracks. I don't think in this any memorable sounds. So yeah, it it lacks motif. We obviously yeah. we don't get the na 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 na. We we were never expecting it. But it's a it's a soundtrack that embeds us into a feeling rather than um, cues to make us excited. You know, like bringing the Lord of the Rings back. Like when we hear na 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 na, it's it's Howard Shaw telling telling the audience, "By the way, guys, this is a cool moment." Yeah. Whereas with this film, it's like we're gonna make you on edge the whole time. <laughs> And it's like, all right then. <laughs> How about the the sound design as well? I don't think there was anything really that stuck out that they had a cue for something. You know, when we hear the sound yeah. and stuff. So when we talk about sound design, it, you know, at the top in terms of like really forward facing sound design, you've got like the sound of a transformer, or like the sound of of uh, bullet time in the Matrix. There was never really an opportunity to express like explicit sound design in this film but i don't particularly think the sound design was bad unlike uh pan's labyrinth (laughs) which it had the opportunity to express some forward-facing sound design and even the foley was wrong but according to k-dog that was nominated for the podska for best sound design when we did the matrix what are you doing Yeah, if, um, if if people haven't listened to our uh, podcast awards, it's the last episode of this podcast. And um, K-Dog made some strange decisions. <laughs> I, I stand and by In terms of sound design, I think they, they played on muted moments as well. So we had um, like the scene with the sugar storm. By the way, that is really dangerous. Like... Sugar is highly flammable when it's powdered and in the air. Like, if you had a lighter at that point, they all would have died. Like, that was really scary. Um, but they were, you know, those moments were muted and 
at that point it was the music serving the the emotion as obviously as well as the performance and the narration on, how did he on know top of it so I think, how did you know that that was happening at that, that exact moment in that exact alley i just didn't really get that i think it was just a, a random moment i think when he was walking down the street you just cut you see him look down and go i know what's cool let's show this girl this just just one of my like, nitpicky things of the film i'm like oh follow me oh, follow me down this dark well, alley and see with this. him being a charmer and you know they're in a city I think he's probably, you know, he's taking people down that alley. He's had a late before. night somewhere. I think he's had a late night somewhere, and he's seen these people delivering sugar, and he thought it was really cool. And he has that in his back pocket to try and impress a girl. He's like, "I've got a romantic moment ready for you." It's kind of like you, you know, you take a girl to a certain bar because you think you think the ambience is good and it has a good mood. And after the a night out, he's walking down. What? <laughs> well, yes, it is romantic, isn't it? And it's weird and it's fun. And it's also super cinematic. Yeah. yeah. Look good. It's very nice of him to take her down a very cinematic alley. <laughs> <sighs> well, they're in like, they're in New York or something at that point, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, half the alleys down there are weird anyway, but it's, it's kind of like, oh, what we're going to discover down here. Like everyone loves that about New York. It's like, oh, yeah. we're going to discover. I mean, it's such a big city. Like there's always something going on weird like that. So, you know. I'd, I was not overwhelmed or thought that amount of pretension was far-fetched in this movie. I wasn't like, uh, why wouldn't why would he be doing that? I've been watching um, yeah. a lot. I've discovered uh, screen pitches. Have you seen them on a screen rant? The pitch series on YouTube. Have you seen that before? All right. No. I want to send you a link after this. I've been obsessed with this guy. That's uh, the premise is he just pitches pitches films to the studio, but you know points out all the flaws along the way. Um, in a very funny way. Um, so I've just become very nitpicky when watching films because of it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, what, being what? nitpicky, being nitpicky, uh, how would you do this differently than Kidog? Yes, here he goes. You know what? <laughs> Perfect segue. That was yeah. good, Kidog. Did you set Rob up for that? Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with that. Right. I've got a list of about 10 things of just very convenient and unrealistic things that would happen, but like things that needed to happen to keep this story moving. <laughs> so um, okay. very entertaining things, but things that wouldn't happen in real life. Number one. Things that the screenwriter should have questioned, like, are the audience going to believe this? Yeah, kind of how how much will the audience kind of um, suspend their, um, what what's it called? Suspend Disbelief. Disbelief. Disbelief, yeah. So firstly, her plan, just her plan as it overall is just super convenient. I like every aspect of it had to go perfectly. It's the same with all of these kind of elaborate manipulation stories. Like everything has to go exactly how she planned. And if it doesn't, then she's kind of screwed and everything went her way, which is great. So for example, the credit card. So this guy is in 170,000 pounds or dollars worth of debt. Did he never look at a credit card statement? Did he never get a call from the bank? Like what happened there? That's number one. Number two, the shed. Right? If he did buy all that stuff, why would he keep it all in the shed? Like, if he did, like, what's he doing? It's like a PlayStation and a TV. Why didn't he just stockpile yeah. it in the shed? He should be using it. That's weird that it's in a shed. And, like, if she did put it, she put all that stuff in, in the shed, why did no one see her doing that? Why did the sister not go, why are you, like, walking back and forth 20 times, like, with all, with all this stuff? Like, when did she do that? Well, I don't think he bought it all in... We would have bought it all in one day. And like, 
I think just the overall, like, how shit the detectives are as well. Like, they just take everything at face value. They never investigate all the shed stuff. Like, surely it's very easy to just, like, um, see who delivered them, who signed for them, all that sort of stuff. Like, it's... Yeah, that's a good point. Um, The treasure... Yeah, (laughs) like, you would have called UPS up and said, "Uh, so what was the signature? (laughs) And then it was like, Amy... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like oh, okay and the tre- the Fair treasure enough. hunt in general like i don't understand w- why nick is he called nick why he would just not allow the police to join him on this treasure hunt why did he go to loan because if he, they did the police did join him on the treasure hunt they would have found out that amy was a psychopath like that was one bit that got me it was like why did he go to his dad's house alone like surely knowing that this was a clue Knowing that they were looking for a brown house. Like if why didn't he just tell them straight away, oh, the brown house is like Mr. Brownhouse was this character, blah de, blah de, blah. But knowing his innocence, because he was, and why why so his kind of st- He was just making himself seem guilty. His stupid because he needed to seem guilty. His stupidity, yeah, it was just kind of when it he, he was stupid when it was convenient for the plot to be stupid, really. And like the yeah. the shed stuff, like if he took the police to the shed when he discovered it. There's incriminated evidence that he didn't do it and Amy, Amy did it all. There was a note saying ha ha ha, whatever it was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think with the um the brown house, when he goes there, the police find the the evidence anyway. You know, Nick doesn't doesn't find the book, but the police does later on. So the, the, he could have probably took her to took the police to the to the house and then they would have found the same thing anyway. So in the diary, why would you, if if he did? want to destroy this this diary why would he just throw it into this this um the f- furnace and then just like burn it for about seven seconds and then walk away and not check that it was destroyed like why did he that is explained because the police think that he went to hide the diary at the house when you know the alarm's going and then she's randomly there so they've been following him they think he was there he got caught the alarm went off and he just didn't have enough time to like burn the diary, I suppose. But from Annie's perspective, why would she think that that was a suitable hiding place? Why did she not just put it in the house somewhere? Yeah, she she didn't know that the police were might be there with them whilst they found the diary. Yeah, like it's kind of a yeah, lot of so. serendipitous kind of uh, things that happen that work in Amy's favor. Um, yeah, and also there's this big thing that I hated. Just the news is just on everywhere. <laughs> like, is there nothing else in this world except the news? Like, it was on at the Have you, at the bar. Kid, do you do do, do you live in uh, 20... 2020 <laughs> like have you the airport that's all the, there is the bar the airport the casino like and it's not just the news it's not like bbc it's like you'll notice this now though k-dog that the news is on everywhere but it, it's just kind of one of those things where it popped up whenever they needed to explain something <laughs> they needed to be a tv in this scene so we'll put one in it was like yeah. oh what's happening just look at the screen and there'll, someone will fill in the gaps here so all of these uh, coincidences all these conveniences. It's kind of, yeah, things that scenes to needed to happen things. for the plot, but were just too, there's too, too coincidental. Yeah. Uh, See, sometimes those things do annoy me, but most of the time my suspension of disbelief is held because um, stories are written uh, by crazy coincidences. So like, you know, like all the crazy coincidences that won the war, won the Second World War, like the Allies, they were all crazy coincidences because they needed yeah. to be for them to win. And then they become stories. 
So like, I'm never like, like imagine if it was like, oh, it just didn't work. Like you went to the police and went, look at me, sister's shed. It's like full of stuff. And then halfway through the film, it's like, oh. I get that these things needed to happen for the story to take place because there wouldn't be a film without it. But there should be a way where you can't pick a hole in in the in the the devices that they use. Um, and I feel like with this, you can like, for example, the pregnancy thing at the end. I really like the payoff because throughout the film, like well, at one point in the film, there's a throwaway comment saying that they wanted to get pregnant, and he even went to the the clinic and he he got his sperm tested or whatever, and they've got a sample. And then they move on to something else. And then that comes back at the end, obviously, because Amy stole that and made herself pregnant. Um, but that that wasn't part of Amy's plan. Why would she why would she do that? Like It is now though. That's the thing, is her plan changes halfway through this film. She should have her plan was to kill herself. But remember, he she hid she hid this the thing in the mail so that he wouldn't know that they still had the sperm sample. But she did that before any of this happened. Before her, clever, before her plan went awry, she she wouldn't have had any thought about stealing her sperm and put and making herself pregnant. Anyway, that's a very small thing, but just stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of when you think about it, there's a lot of them. Do you reckon like these things were written after the fact because they needed to happen? It's like ah oh, crap! In order for this to happen, something needs to happen before that. So they'll go back to like page fifteen and quickly add it in, so then it makes sense at page ninety. Well, I, I think the pregnancy thing was quite essential at the end, so they probably would have wrote it in. But um, another one that I kind of the big one that I really didn't like about the film is the middle bit. It's, it's a cliche. I was going to put it in the cliche section as well, where um, she just reads out her diary and just kind of says her master plan to the audience. It's like the equivalent of like when evil villains uh, tell their yeah. tell their plan before they, they fail to kill the person. She was narrating though, wasn't she? And she was narrating things that halfway through were no longer the truth. Yeah. So it's not like a Doctor Evil moment. But it was a, there was a kind of in the middle where it's like, oh, let me tell you how I came up with all of this and tell you run, give you a run through yeah. of all those steps. Step one, befriend a neighbour and, you know, a pregnant neighbour. Step two, buy a load of books about murder and research art. Yeah. It's like, all right. Why don't you just let us? Why don't you just let us fill in the gaps here, rather than like telling us exactly? Like we know exactly what's happened. <laughs> she she like she she talks through her process of how to do it. Like he's a how to guide a little. But I suppose with most detective and like crime dramas, we get we always get that 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 moment, like of like he's the plot. <laughs> Essentially, I'm going to tell you what it is, just because it's a detective film and there's clues along. I the bet way. you're wondering how the. Uh, the photograph on the mantelpiece was back up. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah, that's true. But we, it's, I suppose we get the flashback of all of the evidence. Um, it's, it, the, the way they've structured it is like we, we see two halves of the story. So we see Nick's side and then we see her side. Um, so at least we get some gaps that have been filled. But it's, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying there with like... Well, we're at the midpoint of the film, aren't we? And we need to have a little bit of excitement again. Yeah. So like getting to see... She's essentially planning it. That's the idea. And it's like, oh, that's how she got this, 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 and this. That's interesting. And then now we're on sort of her side of the fence, mm-hmm. working out what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it. I don't think it's as much as an evil villain who's telling you his plan all along. <laughs> but like, like every single heist movie has them showing what they're going to do. Showing the we heist. Just, we just got it 
after it was already done from from the victim's standpoint. It, it, I think we were speaking about this the other day. If I'm going to spoil Ocean's Eight if you haven't seen it. Um, like that's obviously the can't Ocean's... spoil that film anymore. <laughs> yeah, that that um, that that film's obviously about the heist and they go and do the heist, but um, they actually did the heist the night before and stole everything and replaced everything and then still did the heist the next day, the real heist. Um, so it's like a heist within a heist and it's just like, but you you got away with doing the heist the night before, so why are you going back to do a fake why heist? Why are you doing it again? Yeah, yeah and I, I was sitting there, I was watching, I was like, because they needed a twist. Yeah, they explained it all. And I was just like, but you did the heist and it worked? That was the heist? Like, you didn't need the twist. Like, it's 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 not a very good film. Um, but, yeah, don't watch it. So, Rob, is there anything you would do differently with this then? Um, not really. Um, I, I think the one thing I would do differently is I wish I watched it in the cinema. Uh, um just because I've been like completely immersed into this that first time. But in terms yeah. of story, I just, every, like, this is only the second time I've watched it and I, I made sure this is a film I'll only watch every so often. Yeah, so you can kind of forget what's going on. Yeah, um, just so I don't need to look at Amy again because she petrifies us. Um, anytime yeah. I see, um, is it, we'll try and pronounce again, R- Rosemary? Rosa, Rosemary Pike? Rosamond? I got. Rosamond Ro- Pike. Rosamond Pike. Yeah, anytime I see her in anything else, I just, just see the opening and last shot of this film and it scares us. Like, I mean, I think her voice as well is so scary in this, like her voiceover. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think I would do anything differently and I think that's mainly with most Fincher films. I think he's just he just makes good films. Uh, what about yourself? I don't know, I'm probably in a mix between not really changing much and then now that K-Dog's mentioned it, maybe try and smooth out some of the major plot holes, the things yeah. that could be well, fixed with a post-it, things like that. Actually, one of the things I would change is the, um, so she goes missing and then about four hours later, they're already like doing a press conference like about her missing and then they're having like a visual and like a missing person's case. I remember They've that. got to be yeah. missing for more than 24 hours to even do anything. I know there's suspicious circumstances in the house, but even then, the police just wouldn't, like... Well, I think it's because she's also a whole high-profile case, with her being yeah. a famous daughter, and the True. fact that she's had problems with boyfriends, that it, it gets boosted. It's like, yeah. It's strange that she disappeared, and then there was violence involved. So it was like, uh-huh. oh, we're going to have to start something right now. Yeah. yeah, it is weird that they managed to get loads of people together, and almost make it seem like, oh, we've assumed she's dead. But it was also, yeah, it was like, they went missing. He called the police. Instant press conference no detection yeah. work goes on well who's doing like they could have done a, a few interviews here and there with people just to check that she's not you know at a neighbor's house or whatever at the shops yeah. just at the shop at the cinema <laughs> she's, she's not a b&q replacing yeah. the uh table that's just yeah. smashed she, no she's gone to uh the cinema and she's watching the extended cut of lord of the rings like <laughs> she really likes lord of the rings and she, you know that's like four hours right there so well do you think it's because there was traces of blood yeah. things like that yeah. Where like it was clearly a violent situation, but yeah, there's a gap, isn't there? Like mm-hmm. they go from in what it seems like the same day, going from oh where's Amy <laughs> to yeah. oh my god Amy ah what's going yeah. on? Mm-hmm. Like she 
is it is it completely out of the realm of possibilities that she decided to like take a trip on her own somewhere and yeah. you'll get a phone call oh sorry like, love i am um, i decided to go upstate and uh, see me sister sorry, for the sorry, weekend sorry about the table i knocked out on the way out <laughs> i'll fix it when i'm back <laughs> yeah. for example for example like like if you really read into it um that household has only got one car and nick drives it where's her car like that is just not in 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 society they would both have a car each <laughs> and like yeah. so her car is not there so it's just like she's clearly driven somewhere so where's her car like not that doesn't get mentioned but you, I suppose when you're reading into that you just yawn nitpicking there's another thing I didn't like uh, how she's like I said before the news is on everywhere and this is apparently the, the biggest story I don't know why um, but nobody recognises her she's not even trying to cover her face she spends time with that yeah. she spends time with that hit girl watching the news and she doesn't go you look a bit like her <laughs> Yeah, she does a little bit of... She obviously dyes her hair, wears very different clothes to everything that she's been seeing on TV. She hits her eye and she's wearing sunglasses a lot. But then, again, it only becomes... Someone only recognises her in the casino when it becomes relevant to the plot. When uh, she has to go back... They don't recognise her as Amazing Amy, though. Yeah. They recognise her as some character in some show. Yeah. He's like, are you Barney from How Your Mother? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I thought that was... I thought it was a little bit weird that they were just in a casino. Like, is that a common thing? <laughs> like, why why aren't they like... Was the, a- was the casino... Look, I'm thinking, like, with it being like motels and things like that, like, the idea of the casino would have been, like, the next sort of safe public place. Potentially, yeah. And there's TV screens in a casino, so <laughs> they can show the news. Yeah. Oh, it needs to be in a casino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... I like the detail that she was trying to call someone and there was, like, a... Coins on top of the the AT, the phone booth, and then later on, she's she's nicked, she's, them. She's nicked them to sort of is yeah. she using them to gamble or something? She yeah, put them in true. like a slot machine or something. Uh, that was cool because that was like our um, scene transition. It was like we mm-hmm. we ended there and then we started on the coins and pulled out. So it was kind of like, ooh, that's a clever mm. little thing. Yeah, has it aged? The uh, how when did this come out? Twenty fourteen. So it's twenty fourteen. It, oh God. It's six years old in terms of recording. I think the themes of the press haven't aged, but I would say if it was made this year or last year, I think they would have dialed up, dialed it up even more. The kind of the power of the press. I yeah. don't know yeah. why. Um, you would have like a the, the someone would have made of like a meme of Nick smiling next to uh, the yeah. poster. Oh yeah. yeah, lack of memes. That's lack it, isn't memes. it? Yeah, yeah. there would have been. The, at no point did they ever say fake news. Another thing. So. That would have been in. Mention, That's in the zeitgeist. Didn't mention a hashtag. Where's Amy? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hashtag. Where's <laughs> Amy? Exactly. Yeah. Aye. So maybe it, it does age <laughs> quite badly then. Yeah. <laughs> no memes. In terms of its filmmaking structure, things like that, like I think it'll hold up. Um, yeah. I also noticed, like, when she was googling things, it was on like a Windows ninety eight computer. So. Yeah. Uh, Fincher's not wanting to use mod- modern technology if he can get some slightly older technology. It does ruin a story now having the internet because it just solves so many things. They have to kind yeah. of make a film 20 years ago just to to get through some of your... It feels like this film wasn't based in 2014 because even things like the phone that Batman has is, is an older phone. Like, it's not a smartphone. Yeah. It's like when I... Um... I wanted to watch this film. I think I must have watched it in 2000, 2015. So that was obviously five years ago. You know, I couldn't just find it 
on like a Netflix or an Amazon Prime because there wasn't five years ago, Netflix was still quite new online. Um, so I had to go out and buy the Blu-ray. Like that's how fast technology's like come across. Yeah. Uh, so it's crazy. It's a good thing that he, he set the technology 10 years before they filmed it. Yeah. Like it easily could have been 2004, early 2000s era. Yeah. Except yeah. things like the fashion weren't like specifically early 2000s. Like it's, it definitely feels a little bit timeless. Like it's yeah. not super um, stuck in a certain place. So yeah, it hasn't really aged that much, has it? Other than like, it, obviously, if you were going to modernise it, yeah, we'd be hashed, hashtags all over the place. Yeah. But it's probably a good thing because I'm sure that's that's going to be a trend that'll evolve into something it, else. It in nowadays, you know, when um, he's having that argument with his sister, and then she immediately turns on the news to the the point where they're talking about him for some reason. I don't know how she does that yeah. really fast. There would have been a it five second. Been, YouTube no, it would have been. Before. Look, you're all over Twitter, and then like point a phone and a face in his face. Oh yeah, yeah, you're all over Twitter. <laughs> That's what it would have been. You're trending. Yeah, exactly. You're trending yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> trending. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Who is the Sebastian Stan of the film? <laughs> if, if anyone doesn't know what this is, uh, we watched The Martian. Um, a couple of months ago and Sebastian Stan was playing a character that literally just didn't even need to be there like is he, he in, could have been just is he in that else. film is Sebastian Sebast- Stan in that's the that's where the whole Sebastian Stan came from oh really I didn't like, know the Sebastian Stan of the film is yeah. because he's in the Martian as a completely pointless character yeah <laughs> yeah he's in the Martian <laughs> doesn't need to be though <laughs> I think the dad's house is the Sebastian Stan doesn't need to be there at all Who? like it's there as a plot device for Nick to go in order to set an alarm off in order for the book to oh, be oh the house oh right the house it's his dad's uh, house oh the dad is the Sebastian Stan well the, the no. dad doesn't need to be there either nah because the only mention of the right so why is the alright so the dad and his house are both the Sebastian Stans of this film so like why does his his dad turns up because Nick's already at the police station and he's there and he needs to take him home because he's walked out of the assisted living place. So he takes him there and then he leaves. And then later on, it calls back to that um, on the news by saying, and he's only ever been to see his dad once in the past year. But we, that's just, that's like icing on the cake of this guy who by the media standpoint is not really a nice guy. Like he's, he's been, he's the portrayed villain. So Honestly, I don't even think he needs to be there. And because his dad doesn't need to be there, the house doesn't need to be there either. Like, what is the reason for that house? He gets caught, like, there's an alarm, and then also the book happens to be in the basement, but it could have been, like, in the fire in their own house. Like, they've got a fire in the house. Yeah, so that's true. They could the have dad just had- and his house of the Sebastian <laughs> Stan. Um, I would say it's probably Neil Patrick Harris's character for me. It's probably the obvious what? one. Like, it doesn't need to be him. Like, he turned up when I was like, isn't that that guy from uh, that TV show that I've not seen? So No, we're not talking about the casting. We're talking about a character that if you remove them, the plot would move exactly the same. Ah, uh, right. Okay. So um, Sebastian Stan in The Martian, his character didn't, didn't there, even did need to be there. Yeah. In, o- in order for that film to flow. So, like, S- Sebastian Stan in... Uh, I Tonya is not the Sebastian Stan of the movie. It's, it's a it's a complex uh, 
system we've got here, but we'll stick to it for now. Yeah, we'll stick with it. Um, so who is like the pointless character that if you removed them, the plot would not have shifted at all? I'll just go with what you said. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I am. I couldn't think of anyone. I did when I looked through the notes. I couldn't think of anyone. But now that you mentioned the the dad, I would say the dad because the only reason he was coincidentally at the police station the same time that he was at the police station for some that was another coincidence. What I hated. Um, the only reason was to rem- to remind him about the house. Um, yeah, but even and if the news report, you wouldn't forget about your dad's house. If he ha- if he's dead, like he could go see his dad's house. It was the kind of like, oh yeah, that house, that's the house. And then, but yeah, you could have you could have done that without the, the, the dad. Well, no, I think I think there's probably a couple of things there though with the dad. Um, you probably didn't need to see him at the police station, but it kind of gets him out of a, uh, the bad situation quite early. The house kind of needs to be there because if his dad had died, he most likely would have got rid of the house. Um, and if that's where the diary is, that's where the diary is. But if his dad was still living there, Amy wouldn't have put the put a clue there because a dad, his dad would have been there and he wouldn't know. Yeah. So get rid of the dad, which gets rid of the house and put the diary somewhere else. It's essentially, but it's like, okay, where do you, do they have anywhere else to put it? Um, I literally anywhere. Like it could have been in the in the in the fire. Could have been underneath the floorboard. Like it's like setting up a dad and a house and a, this all as these like extra plot points just to get that. In. Yeah, it like could have smoothed it over. It it's just I suppose the treasure hunt sends him to places which is not just his house. We get the first yeah. clue there, and then the, he has to go to his office. And then previous when we see a, a flashback, he has to go to a bookshop. So it shows you that she's um she, she, sending him around. Send him around. It's not an easy game to play. Um, he's actually got to travel for this treasure hunt around places that he probably knows. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Why is the house still there? You know, he clearly hasn't looked after it. Maybe the Sebastian Stan is the detective's, like, partner. Like, she obviously she needs someone was, to, like, talk to. I was going to gonna put him as the Mark Zuckerberg. So what is the Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> Just someone who's an absolute <laughs> tool. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Was it not someone like he doesn't, someone who doesn't change as a person or something? Oh, yeah. Potentially, yeah, With but no we should just get rid yeah, of that one. No, that, yeah. that, that still fits the police officer. Uh, he's just an asshole throughout. That's his opinion. Hey, where does he yeah, go? He is he like, d- he disappears he is. like halfway through it. Like, he's not in the last 40 minutes. The worst detective ever. He's like, no, we're not going to look into that. I just know that he's guilty. I'm like, that's not your job, though, is it? You need to, like, have some evidence here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a guy who just points blame. At Batman from the get go, it's yep. like, come on, man, do your job. In order for her to seem a little bit more justified, when she's like, no, wait, I'm a bit more brainy. Yeah, yeah. it's to make her look better. He is. Yeah. So. Yeah. So he, he is the like arm candy of that character. Yeah. It just makes her look better. Yeah. He's an accessory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, filmmaking cliches. What was the one that you had, Kato? Um, I was going to put in like the the opening narration. That's a very much of a, a cliche in a film, and the kind of the the plot device of using a diary to to give exposition because they've got no one to talk to, so they write it down, and then you have the character read it out loud. Uh, it's an effective way of of getting information out there. I just think it's a bit lazy, to be honest. Yeah. 
How else do you think you would do it? I don't know. I don't know. Have, let's just don't, don't, you can have a talking to someone, explaining it, maybe telling Barney, um, or you could just, just hint at it. You don't have to tell the audience everything. We can, we can fill in the yeah. gaps ourselves. I just think with the, the whole, obviously, it could just be a, a voiceover, which we hear in lots of films, and there's no physical um, anything written down. It is just the voiceover of this person telling us a story, like a fight club. Um, but with this, the diary is a piece of evidence. So it's, it's a just, plot device, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's fact, a plot device. It's incriminating. So it mixes the plot device with the narration. The fact that yeah, she wrote it all down, though, didn't she have like a bullet point checklist of like things to do? It just yeah. It. yeah, like the whole idea is that she, she needed like 300 entries and she was... To make legitimate. Making it all up. Yeah. Yeah. I thought uh, that was interesting. I thought yeah, that was I quite, that. quite fun. I, I wouldn't have called that a cliche. I think some of the stuff she's saying as well, um, obviously we're, we're, it, it's very unreliable. Well, it is unreliable because none of it's true. Um, and it's it just makes us question like, did he actually do it? Which is the main theme to this film. Did he do it? Did he do it? And then we get the reveal that he didn't. So for no, that it's, first hour. It's not, the, it's not the diary itself. I understand that's a plot device. It's the, it's the oh, you, you, you're probably wondering how I did this. And then, well, I've drained my blood for a oh, few right. days. And then I did this. And then yeah. I did that. Um, did she write that down? Or was she just talking to us? It felt like she was, re- it felt like she was reading from her diary then. Well, she made a list, didn't she? She was ticking yeah. a list off. I just feel for such a criminal mastermind, you wouldn't write it down on pieces of paper, would you? I guess so. Maybe that narration is the Sebastian Stan of this movie. Get rid yeah. of her narration. We've got shots to prove what she's talking about. She doesn't need to explain it. We're seeing it happen. Show it on tell. <laughs> for the first, like, 20 minutes, it'll just be Ben Affleck looking really sad. <laughs> <laughs> it will be it just be like that meme of him when he's doing the Superman uh, interview and he's just like interview. Henry yeah. Cavill's laying off loads of stuff and he's looking at it his uh, have you seen some episodes I think it's on the who are Ben Affleck on, he was he was no, and you, you, have you seen on, substance abuse <laughs> have you seen some Scrubs episode on YouTube where they remove JD's in a monologue so he's just standing there He's just standing there yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in silence, just kind of do, moving his eyes. And it's like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> that's... Um, if there's one cliche, it, it's the whole, I'm going to need to get a lawyer. Of like, ooh, okay. The also the cliche It's is, a line um, that's in a lot of films, but the, uh, it makes sense that it's in here. Because at some point, someone will have to say, oh, I'm going to need a lawyer. Like, yeah. it's not just a cliche in a film. People say it all the time. The cliche as well, just stupid police that just don't do anything. Like, you've got a good one and a bad one. Yeah, good cop, bad cop. Yeah. Although the bad cop is not really a bad cop. He's a he's a handbag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's an accessory. It's not good cop, bad cop isn't so, saying, like, one's, like, really nice and then one's really horrible. No, one's actually good at the job and one's just, like, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, not their strategy for interrogation. No. It's he's just, just one. He's just a terrible police One's just rubbish. Officer. Yeah? Yeah. So. I. All right, um, we know it's in the Matrix then. Definitely. It's in the blue Matrix. <laughs> uh, uh, I've actually added um, on mine, because I've, I've copied over our running order, I've added a new one, which I thought we could talk about. Uh, All right. And it's, it's called, Could There Be a Sequel to This? Could there be a sequel? I'll put that in the... Pitch a sequel, what would happen? Obviously, it can't be... We'll start with the title, because it can't be called Gone Girl, so... Gone She's... Boy... <laughs> They're, they're together, right? 
and he takes the kid a few years later and he pulls the heist on her oh, this time. Nice. Yeah. He he frames the the murder the murder suicide of him and his kid so they yeah. can get away. He's been planning this for eighteen years. You know. Gone boys, gone boys, gone boys, <laughs> and it's just a road trip with Ben Affleck and his kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're like loving life because they're the gone boys. Yeah, but um, Amy is so clever that she hunts them down like a oh, yeah. like a, um, a what's that one with uh, where he gets his daughter kidnapped? Taken, uh, <laughs> taken. Amy is uh, is that guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about how about um, um Ben Affleck uh becomes mega rich and then he starts becoming like a vigilante in the city. And then uh Oh and, yeah. And actually that 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 sugar alley that he went down in the beginning, that was he knew about the alley because his parents got because killed. Because that's where him. his mum got killed, where she where the yeah. pearls were smashed. <laughs> yeah. And then Oh my god. <laughs> You're right. And then Amy just dies, I don't know. She becomes Batgirl. Yeah. There you go. Of course she does. Yeah. No, she become Catwoman. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's got bad yeah. on that. She's yeah. Catwoman. Yeah. All right. There you go. Done. There's, there's our yeah. pitch for the there sequel. There could be a sequel. Yeah. Yes. Confirmed. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's got any more trivia slash fun facts slash fan theories? I haven't actually like looked on... Uh, I, I did. I, I think I've given all my facts of just like him on set playing a trick on Fincher, um, kind of how many hours the, the shot for. Um, I know in the marketing for this, the because um, this is based on a book, um, the same, the person who wrote the book actually wrote the screenplay as well. But they put a, like, a marketing campaign out to say the ending or the, the third act is different from the book. It's not. <laughs> so oh, they right. just... For those people who like it, it read the book, which was, it's, I mean, I think it was very, very popular when it came out. Well, that's why it got picked up for a film as well. Um, yeah. They kind of, they just did a little bit of a marketing campaign to trick people. Yeah, right. Which helps actually apparently, with the story. So Apparently, uh, Ben Affleck's weight fluctuates in the film to being average, to being pure. He was hench he as was hell. He was massive at the beginning. He was just like, yeah, standing yeah I there noticed that. He's <laughs> massive at the start when he's like waiting for the bin men to turn up. <laughs> and I, I said, I must, he yeah, must have been uh, training for Batman at this point, was he? Yeah, he was, he was doing Batman v Superman at that point. So that's why he's <laughs> big lad. That's why he's a big boy. Aye, that's all I've got. There's, I mean, there's plenty of fun facts, but aye. Out of 10. Right, before we give it an out of 10, we need to actually give it the rating system. So, like, how many how many wine bottles out of ten? Oh man. How many How many slit throats out of ten? How many Neil how many Patrick Harris's? Yeah, how many Barneys um out of ten? Uh how many How many ha- ex boyfriends? How, how many uh news reports can we do we have to watch? Uh, how many news reports out of ten? Yeah. Um I'm gonna give it um I'm going to give it 9.5 Barneys out of 10. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm going to give it... 9.5 Barneys. What nine. would you have given it before we spoke? Maybe we should do that. Yeah. I'm going to um, put that up I think, front I think next the, time. I think from the first time I watched it, I would have probably given it the same. I think it's it's actually... Is it watching it the second time? Uh, actually, you know what? The first time I would have given it 10. 10 Barneys. It yeah. would have been... Yeah, loads of Barneys. Um, but I think the second time, 
there's a couple of things that you've mentioned, the procedural things that, you know, you might not have to have him, but I think with these types of films, you do, you need those things. Yeah. It's just a common And it's only because we've like, we're here to criticise the movie or we're here to break it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, nine off, which is me highest ever. Barney's. Highest ever written for a film. <sighs> Did you not give American Pie 10? Oh yeah, probably. I did actually nearly watch um, A Mountain Pie 2 the other day because I was just like, I just wanted something fun to watch and nothing like, I just watched this and I was like, I can't, I need something like, <laughs> something just yeah, kind of the completely silly. Down. Yeah, so. Yeah. All right, K-Dog. Um, I think What's your rating system and what would you give um, it? I'm going to go with Barney's as well, but <laughs> one of the flaws as well, I didn't think he was very well cast. I think Rob said that before. I agree. I think he'd... He's too much of a face, isn't he? Especially in 2014. Yeah. Like, I remember... He was the sitcom guy. Yeah, I remember I watched this at the cinema when it came out. And back then, I thought it just stuck out like a sore thumb. He really like, did. Imagine imagine if that was ba- um, Matt Damon, yeah. who just turns up in random thing. Imagine if it was Matt Damon, you'd just be like... <laughs> What's going so on? I, what you're saying is he is the Matt Damon of this film. <laughs> yeah. We haven't done Interstellar yet, but he is the Matt Damon of Interstellar. He's also in. He turns up in Thor. He does. Um, does he in Ragnarok? Yep, Matt Damon's in that. Um, what? Yeah, he's been, yep. he plays. He? he plays Thor. He, he, play, he plays Loki. He, he plays Loki in the uh, oh, in yeah. the stage play. And they're doing like a stage play version. <laughs> oh my god! But anyway, yeah, yeah. So I just thought he really stuck out. Because at the time, yeah, he's this huge sitcom. Like, How I Met Your Mother was the biggest sitcom in the world at the time, or one of them. Um, yeah. And he's just, he, everyone knows him as Barney or, or that kind of kind of big, big character. Um, and, and this, yeah. I didn't say he did a bad job. And he I just think sort he of mis- plays miscast. the same player style. Like, it's not like he's playing someone completely different. He's wearing suits and he's yeah. got like the nice trimmed hair. And uh, he loves, like, you know, sophisticated things. Yeah. So, anyway. He basically plays the demented version of Barney. I'm going to give the um, eight, eight Barneys out of ten. Nice. Eight Barneys. I think before this, I, did, I couldn't even remember what rating I would have given it. I just remember this film had me thinking and it, and it gave me something that I'd, I'd never really had before. I think I'm going to give it a, a solid eight Barneys, but I'm going to give it a, an extra bloody Barney and give it nine bloody Barneys out of ten. Nine bloody Barneys. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like like I said, with this film, it is how it just makes you feel at the end. And I think that first time I watched it, it was just like, wow, I've not seen anything like this before. I've got to sit here and think about it and go on, why are they still together and things like that. And she, scared, she still scares us. Anytime I see a picture, she'll... You know, I think she was on like the one show doing an interview or something, and I just heard her voice, and I was like, "Oh man, I've got to leave the room." Um, yeah, she she petrifies us. So yeah. Right, do you want to play us out, Rob? Nah, 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 nah. That's me, isn't it? Um, yeah, thanks for listening to this uh, podcast. I'm going to estimate that this is probably the longest one we've ever done because uh, it's gone on a bit. Actually, there's quite a bit to talk about this. Um, I'm glad that we um, we found some negative points in this film as well. That's always fun because. You know, with a Fincher film, it's just like, well, they're so good. You know, you can't like say bad things about them, but I suppose we can in this. 
We're good at finding bad points in films now, aren't we? Yeah, the three of us. yeah we are. <laughs> we tear things down. Yeah. So um, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to contact us and put a suggestion in about the podcast, you can find us um, at thefilmlook.gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at thefilmlook. We also have a YouTube channel, which is called at thefilmlook. Um, you know, where we drop filmmaking knowledge bombs uh, from the short films we make. I've literally read that word for word because I'm getting a little bit tired now. And uh, highest a quid over on uh, oh, yeah, Patreon pa- as well, if Patreon you want to well. support the, the YouTube channel as well as the podcast and other things. Yep, so it's over there. Just have a look. Um, give what you can. If you can't, you can still listen to these um, when they come out for free. So until next time, see you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I don't know why I waved. It's a podcast. <laughs> I saw you wave. <laughs> right, I'm going to stop it there.